You're listening to the Audacious Leadership Podcast. This interview was recorded by Senior Pastor Glenn Barrett during the coronavirus lockdown of 2020. For any more information about us, head to our website, audaciouschurch.com. Pastor Gary Clark. How are you, Glenn? Good, mate. How are you doing tonight? Good. Good. Um, Gary, I wonder, in terms of just us getting to know you a little bit, I think it'd be fantastic for everyone to know a little bit about Gary Clark. Tell us a little bit about where you were born and uh, and where you were raised, a little bit about your childhood. Oh, gosh. I was uh, born in a place called Mildura in, uh, in Australia, which is the yeah. north, I think, what is it, the northwestern part corner of um, – so I spent my first few years years there and I moved to Melbourne in my teenage years and then to a tiny little place in the center of Victoria called Kerrang. And uh, then as, as soon as I could get out, I got out. I was gone. You went to the big uh, what else you want you to know? Sydney uh, then? No, no, I went to um, I went to a place called Bendigo. I've lived in a few places, haven't I? Yeah. And um, then from there, I uh, went on a one year trip around Australia. Yeah, and uh, and haven't been home since. So that one year trip around wow. Australia has uh, has gone thirty uh, something years now. So, oh no, it's taking yeah, a long time. long time, long time, yes. long time, mate, long time. Yeah, and listen, yeah, tell us a little bit about horses because you, you were into horses, you were riding horses, you were training horses. Tell us, a, give us a little bit of a snapshot of that part of your life. I got into riding horses teenage years. I sort of fell in love with the sport and uh, started to dream about what's, what the possibilities were and then went from that to um, just ha- having a go at um, riding professionally and uh, training and teaching and spent a few years doing that. And, uh, and what did your journey into ministry look like after that? How, how did that come about? Um, I, was in the, I was living on the, on the Gold Coast. I was living and working there. And I encountered, um, I'd never been to church in all my life. Um, I knew nothing, nothing about God. The only thing I knew about God was my father, who is from, uh, from Manchester, by the way. Um, that's why I follow Manchester United. Yeah, we're going to uh, get to that in a minute. Oh, uh, okay. Still but anyway, so, yeah. So, uh, but the only thing I knew about God was uh, my father said to me once, he said, don't let anybody ever tell you God doesn't exist. And that's all I can, wow. that, that's my upbringing on the uh on the things of God, and I encountered, um, I encountered Jesus through a, a whole lot of random, random moments where I um, just different people that I met that told me about the gospel, told me about it all, and uh, and you know I found myself. I think probably the most memorable encounter. I probably had a number of encounters before I said, "Okay, all right, I get this now." And uh, so a group of random friends, and they were all random friends. I don't know how we got there. Um, we get, went to Brisbane Town Hall, and a guy called Kenneth Copeland was wow. uh, was was speaking. And uh, and it was so packed full of people when we got there, and we were late. And we were we were probably the the oddest bunch of people that turned up. And uh, so there's no, the whole place was full. So they sat us on the stage. Uh, so I'm sitting on the floor, maybe about five feet away from him when he's. When he's speaking, and all I can remember is there was just something about him. There was something, can't, cannot think of a word that he said, uh, except there was something about him and there was something about what I heard 
that resonated as true for me. And that's probably where I made a decision. And then something like, I think it was maybe two years later, I went to a, went to a party one night with a whole lot of, whole lot of friends. And, um, it was, it was, it was just, it was one of those sort of city type parties. And there was a, I met a girl there and she, um, she just moved up from Sydney. She was a hairdresser. And, uh, and so both of us sort of discovered very quickly, we didn't fit into the party. We just got invited there by people. So we started talking and I started telling her everything about this Jesus that I'd heard people telling me about. And I start, so I start just preaching to her in the middle of this party. If you want to wreck a party, start preaching to someone about Jesus. <laughs> but anyway, and so I'm just telling her about Jesus. And so when the when we decided to leave, we got outside, and she went her way, and I went my way, and um, we swapped swapped phone numbers. And she rang me up a week later, believe it or not, and said, "You're not going to believe this." I walked out of that party and said, God, if everything that guy has been telling me about you is true, then show me so, show yourself to me. And uh, so she, that's the reason she was ringing. She said, I'm a hairdresser. Every new client that I've got has um, was a Christian. And they told me the same thing as wow. you did. And I went, oh, well, that's weird, isn't it? And she said, yeah, that's really weird. And then a week later, she rang me. She said, you're not going to believe this again. She said, you know, you want to go out for a drink? And I said, yeah, okay. So we went out for a drink and she said, they've invited me to church. And I said, oh, good. Can I come? And I went to church. <laughs> I went to church. I knew you had to wait till the guy at the end said, who wants to give their life to Jesus? I knew you had to put your hand up. I got that bit right. And uh, so he he said, who wants to give it? I thought he's taking a long time to point. That's all I'm waiting for. He said, do you want to, who wants to give their life to Jesus? And I went, I do. And uh, from that day forward, I've been going to church every Sunday for the for the rest of my life. And Amazing. from that from that moved to Sydney, got involved in a church there, and just just decided to do whatever I could to tell other people about Jesus, get involved in church life, and and uh, sort of God's taken over from there. Gary, there's there's a big rumor out there in, in the ether in the world at the moment. That um that I was possibly your your greatest student ever. Can you either confirm or deny such a such rumor? No, actually, the most successful student that I've ever had was your wife. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, for those of you who don't, that's know, a good past, point. That's a good point. Pastor Gary was uh, my lecturer, so we did afternoon youth intensives on youth ministry and uh and gary was uh, a lecturer for those of us who were wanting to take extra credits and uh and gary was there the day that my girlfriend and i my previous girlfriend and i broke up and uh i went to you for some form of counseling and uh do you remember what you said to me i can't remember you, you kind of like you kind of slapped me around the back, the back yeah exactly that's exactly what you said you'll get over it and uh and the good thing was i did um okay Tell us about United then, because, you know, if anything was going to vex us in our relationship, our friendship, it would be something to do with football. Why United? Your dad was born in Manchester, you say? Mm. My dad's from, uh, um, I don't know, do you want the long story or the short story? That's probably the most. Well, give us the interesting um, story. The interesting it's a random version. story. but Yeah, it's a great story. Okay, yeah. I, when, when I went... <laughs> 
<laughs> well, when Kathy and myself, um, I always knew he's from England, from from Manchester. And uh, when Kathy and myself decided we're going to move to Europe, I knew that my father was from uh, from the UK, so I could get a uh, English passport. That's how you. So I'm an English citizen, and uh, so I applied for my English passport. And the, I guess the whatever the whatever commission is in Australia that represents England, rang me up with my application and said, we can't give you a passport. And I said, uh, why? And they said, because your father doesn't exist. I said, he exists. I'm here. Of course he exists. He's my <laughs> father because he'd passed away. And, um, and so uh, I said, he does. And so then I found um, my mother had a birth, a baptism certificate and he was baptized at um, in the Salford, is it Salford Cathedral or something like that? Cathedral, just, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he was he was baptized there, and um, I sent through that baptism certificate, and a passport arrived in the um, in the mail two weeks later, and so I rang them up and I said, you know, well, who was my father? And they say we can't tell you. So, so whoever my father's background was, and uh, I remember my mum. She said, well, that explains a lot. So it turns out who turns out who we thought my grandmother was wasn't my grandmother, and uh, my mum didn't wow. know that he was adopted and all of that. So there's a whole story. But anyway, I know he was from Salford, and uh, that's where Manchester United is. And uh, so he used to tell stories of playing in their little junior league as a little kid, and and we used to sit up at night watching Manchester United in the FA Cup every now and again. So I've known the pain of relegation. <laughs> known the pain of great success and current humiliation. But anyway. Well, uh, I think that's a fantastic story. The, the first time you told me that story, you said that your dad had been christened in Salford Cathedral and we were literally, we were in the car driving outside Salford oh, that's Cathedral. that's right, yeah. And I said, oh, you mean that building just there? And you're like, oh, my gosh, really? So, I mean, yeah. that's amazing. Um, so I'm listen, not one of these Manchester United supporters that sort of jumped on the bandwagon and it's working out how to get off it. I've been, yeah. I've been, a, I've been a Man U supporter for a long time. Yeah, unlike all these people coming up on, on comments saying, glory, glory, Man United, who've probably never been to Manchester in their life, but, uh, but you, you're a legitimate fan, so, yeah, so I'm we'll legit. give you that, Gary. I'm, I'm legit. <laughs> um, listen, Gary, we, we, we've got a, a whole heap of questions to ask you, and for those of you who are watching live right now, you can go into the question box in the bottom of the screen and drop in some questions and... Uh, if we have time, we'll get to those questions as well. Um, Gary, I wonder just in, if we can jump into some uh, leadership conversation for, for a few moments. Um, and I wonder, can you describe your last leadership meeting with a movie title, with a popular movie title? So whether that be a Hillsong London or a, or a global leadership, you know, uh, conversation that you had recently on Zoom, what uh, movie best describes your last leadership meeting? Contagion. <laughs> all right i'll give you that one I'll, uh, that's good i'll give you that um you you arrived in london 20, mm, 20, 20 years year. ago no 20 20 years ago yeah 20 years ago and obviously the hillsong london that is now um is very different to what you arrived in uh 20 years ago can you uh tell us what was the first thing you knew you had to change when you arrived in London and and went to church on that first Sunday or, or met met the leaders at the time? Um I, I think the for for me the the challenge was that I sort of stepped into a church that um that existed before I got there 
and and so it was a church of you know who knows how big churches are, but it was a church where it was in a couple of hundred people when I guess when it was all said and done, and um, and the circumstances of me being there was the the pastor that was in charge was being removed, and I was a new. It was a a um, very polite, and uh, maybe not polite, um, split, where uh, he went one way and Brian said, whoever wants to go with him, you're free to go. And uh, you've got a new pastor and this is this is him, made me stand up in the service and, and there I was. And so really f- the first task for me was is to try and, um, is, is really to try and help people trust each other um, when when there's conflict in church culture, the the um, the funny thing is the trust disappears on all levels. So the, trying to reestablish a trust of leadership, establish a trust of one person with another, and all of that sort of thing. So it was it was really about trying to just establish trust where trust and um, and then trying to get people that it's okay to like each other as well. And uh, so that that was yeah. probably my first challenge. Yeah. So we're talking we're talking about leadership. We're talking about leadership. Um, you know, you've got a, a great pool of young leaders coming through, and um, and your leadership gift is is remarkable. So the question I've got on leadership is this: Is do you think leadership comes natural to you as a leader? Does it come natural to some people and not others, or is it something that you have to really work at? Um, you know, after. I don't know. I've been doing this. You know, if you start doing something long enough and you ask the question pretty much about anything and you usually come up with, I'm not really sure I know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> right. You know, you sort of get to know enough about things to know that you you know enough to know you don't know enough, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, um, there's two schools of thought when it comes to leadership. Um, are you Is it someone who's naturally gifted? Is it, is, is it something you can develop? Um, I, you, can, you can develop leadership gifting, I think, but I think there's something in you that is innate. It's something um, that that's a, there's a gifting associated with it. And, and then you've also got to, then you've got to steward that. And it, just because something is innate doesn't mean that um, it's, you're going to be great at it all of the time and, things like that. So I think you've, there's an element where it's gifting. And even if it's not gifting, you've still got to steward what you do and you've got to study and, and observe and listen and learn. Um, you just can't, you, know, you just can't sort of sit on it and go, I'm a leader. God's called me and I'm going to give leadership. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. Right. No, that's great. Uh, and I wonder if in, in you uh, trying to be really personal to you, what are yep. what would you say are the three biggest things that you've had to work on personally in terms of developing your leadership gift, your leadership ability? Three, did you say? Or yeah, most two, three. Two, three. Oh, two or three. Um, probably, uh, I think probably patience would be my um, – just being uh, patience and and learning to en- enjoy getting there. I'm a, yeah. I'm very I'm very focused on. I don't know what I can see, 
And it's like once I, once I can see something, I'm, once I believe I've heard from God about what I can see, I'm very, uh, very out after it. And I'm sort of not satisfied until it's accomplished. And I feel like God's been, uh, God's been speaking to me over the years about um, I've just got to learn how to enjoy the build, not just, not just enjoy the, uh, the finished product of whatever it is that it's, it's, yeah, it's enjoying the journey. That's really probably one of my biggest challenges. Yeah, uh, I think that would probably be fair all around, wouldn't it? I think that the sense of impatience, the sense of never quite being where we want to be and just learning to stop for a moment and thank God for, for where we are, um, it, it, it is it is a real challenge. Um, what, what would you say are the principal things that you look for in a young leader? Um, I think that sometimes when, when you're identifying younger leaders – it, it, it becomes apparent that some some seem to have a bit of an X factor about them, an X factor in leadership or an X factor in call. Uh, call it the anointing if you want. But what would be the three characteristics that pastors and leaders out there watching this and watching the playback later could say, if, if you're looking to raise up young leaders, here's the sort of thing, the sort of characteristics or giftings that you need to look at in, in those young people? Yeah, I, I, I always look for – I'm, I'm always watching for the next – Who's emerging? Um, I'm always looking for who who's there. Um, I, I believe that 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 person that you need in your church, no matter how big or how how small it is, the per- people that you need are, are already there. They're they there. God God's building His church. God's put them there. And I always ask God to show me who um, who are the new. All right, yeah, and so what, what I look for is um, what's their posture before God? And I, so I, I, I look around, I watch, and I think, I think in worship, is, worship's one of those things that reveals people where they've got a soft heart towards God. Um, and, you know, because I think if you're not careful, you, uh, talented people don't, aren't all necessarily called people. Um, and people can people can give leadership in their own strength and uh, and in their own you know in the, their own sense of who they are. But you want someone who's got a who's got a, a heart that's that's postured towards God. And so I always look for I watch what are they like in in God moments. Do they have an awareness of the presence of God? Are they a worshiper? I look for so I look for that. Um, I, I look for, I watch, I, w- I then watch them around people. Um, I, I watch how to, how do people naturally gather to them? Um, you know, you, if you watch people, people just naturally uh, are drawn to people. Yeah. And so if they've, if they've got that something that where people are naturally, naturally jaw, um, drawn, I sort of look for that. Listen to what other people are saying. Uh, how are they doing in, um, you know, it's easy to promote someone who's got fruit, but if right. you're looking for potential that you're going to develop and how do, I, how do I position people, create opportunity for people, draw them all in, I listen to what people have to, have to say about them and, um, and, and not too... You know, not too too deep, but just listen to what people say. Is there a good good report about that person? 
And then, I, strangely enough, I always then I'll I'll um, I'll position myself around them somehow, and I'll see how they respond around me. Yeah. Um, and because I've noticed uh, if they're really upfront and cocky, um, then they'll probably be upfront and cocky for the rest of their life. But if they're a little bit little bit reticent, a little bit step back, a little bit caught, not cautious but respectful. It means that they respect authority. And so if they've got a heart towards God and, um, you know, the, you watch them around people, if they've got a respect for people in, th- in authority, if that's the right, the, that's the term I use. Um, yeah. it's, they're sort of the God, they're the signs of the call of, call of God because they, 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 I think young potential leaders who are called of God sense the calling. They, they're wrestling with something. They don't quite know it. And so, um, you know, you can, uh, you, you can you get around them and you'll you start to see how they, they respond because they respect it. Um, just cocky and all full of themselves and all of that is just usually they've just yeah. got fantastic personalities. And, but the person that's a little yeah. bit resident, uh, reticent, I should say, you're watching with their friends, they're not that way, but around you they are. It means they respect that they respect that God thing. Yeah, I love that. We've just had a question come in actually. It says, How do you deal with leaders who are they're gifted, they're anointed, but they have a bad attitude? In other words, they don't deal well with being challenged. What do you <laughs> well, what what does Gary do? But I'd question whether Or what should we do? I'd, I'd question whether they're gifted, not question whether they're anointed if they've got a bad attitude. Um, yeah, you know, you can, it's, uh, it's, you know, so I guess sometimes you've got to ask why people have got a bad attitude. Um, I, I try and if someone, if, if I notice someone's developing an attitude around me or towards me, you know, I, I try to make sure that I've got to ask myself the question, what is it, what is it that I'm doing that's causing it? And uh, ask myself that question first, because sometimes uh, I think um, we see people as have a bad attitude when really all they are is just smart. You know, they they sort of look at what you do, watch the way you behave, or whatever it might be, and they think, "Well, you're being stupid. Why are you doing that?" And then they challenge that, and we say they've got a bad attitude. Maybe they're just smart. Um, yeah. So you've got to really really look at what. What's the attitude about? Um, I don't think you can make general general statements. Yeah, you've got to treat everybody as a unique individual. We all are what we are because of life, mm-hmm. and to just go that's a bad attitude. Try and explore why. Yeah, Gary, I think that one of the one of the things that's really important um, right now in the midst of this coronavirus situation that we're in globally is um, the art of making big decisions. And obviously, we're all having to make big decisions. However large our churches are, um, we're making decisions in our homes, we're making decisions with finances. I mean, it it really is a time for big decision-making. What is your process for making the big decisions? Um, And when I mean big decisions, I mean decisions that, actually change the rhythm of your life or the rhythm of the ministry that you represent? Because um, there are big decisions that genuinely do change rhythm and it is hard to change rhythm. So how do you, how do you make these big decisions in, in a time like this? 
Um, well, I've, I've learnt to um, to probably slow the moment there is the big decision that's required. Um, there's not that many decisions that are big that have to be made in the moment. I think if there's a big decision that has to be made in the moment, you probably got there too late. Um, right. You know, so um, there's very few that are actually in the moment. And so what I've um, what I try to do is just uh, I try to go very slow. Um, my team probably think I go very very fast, but um, I've probably been pondering something for a lot longer than I've been talking about it. And and so I tend to just to try and make sure that I, you know, in my heart, do I think this is the right, is this the, where's my heart in this? Um, and just just really check my, check myself on when it comes to big decisions, the tough ones. Yeah. Um, and then try and, you know, sometimes you just know, but you know, your gut feeling. Um, mm-hmm. And gut feeling is not always right, but if it sort of lines up, with what then with what you're thinking um, my gut feeling yeah, yeah. is this I've been thinking this I've been processing this then it's probably the the, uh, the decision I need to need to make and um, yeah yeah that's great if, um, just to encourage us all what what's one of your biggest leadership fails in the last 20 plus years of leadership and ministry can you give us some insight into a decision that you made? that afterwards you were going, oh, my gosh, should never have done that. Is there one that you can air live through Instagram Live? Um, you know, what, what's, oh, again, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I would probably go my, my biggest, you know, mistakes I've made, uh, not necessarily a decision, was that a good call or that a bad call? Um, because, you know, when a bad call comes up, it's pretty obvious, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, whoa, bad call. So what's the right thing to do? The opposite to what that call was. So um, so I'm not, I don't necessarily keep a, believe it or not, I don't keep a record of the, the bad calls yeah. from the perspective because hopefully, hopefully you can rectify the bad call by going, well, it was obviously wrong, so now I know what the right thing to do is. Um, there's probably been things that have borne consequence that I'd say are wrong calls that yes. um, we've probably rushed ahead on things sometimes that um, you sit back and go, well, we shouldn't have, we, we're way down the track on this and we shouldn't be this far down the track. And probably my, like everything, I think our, most of our mistakes are the mistakes we make with people. And yeah. uh, so can't really sit there and go, Hey, here's my people mistakes because they're, they're the mistakes I've made with with people, and unfortunately, I think they're the ones that probably have the greatest impact on church sure. church life. Is the mistakes you make with people? I think Gary, one of the things that I've noticed um, in pastors and church leaders globally is that sometimes the ministry can feel like uh, a death by a thousand cuts, in in the sense of you know dealing with. Um, disappointing results or disappointing fruit, um, feeling like there's been a trust of people and those people have either A, let them down or um, even betrayed that trust. And one of the things that I have noticed is that 
it's easy for us to develop, um, in a sense, uh, soft skin and a hard heart and become, in a sense, a little bit cold towards people or the ministry, uh, etc., because we now really are building a wall around our hearts to protect ourselves from potentially being hurt. How do you how do you maintain the soft heart as you continue to lead through the different seasons of life and the different challenges of leadership? As, I, as I'm getting older, I'm, it, it, um, things change a, a little bit. Um, you know, I've I've decided to do my best that I'm not going to be one of the old guys who finishes in ministry who's bitter and critical uh, of yeah. the of the new things of God and the new leaders and. Uh, all of that sort of stuff, and so I've, I've really committed myself to. I want to. I want to keep a soft heart. But I think the thing that I'm learning learning is is you can't um, you can't protect yourself from disappointment. It, it's yeah. going to come your way, no matter what. No, no matter what, it, it will it will come. You can't protect yourself from um, people's betrayal. It uh, it will come. You can't protect yourself from uh, from failure. Uh, you will fail. The, the, so all of the things that cause us to harden our hearts and protect ourselves from from these things are actually the things that we will never be protected from. And so I, I've just tried to do my best to go, you know, uh, Jesus was pretty serious about things like um, forgiveness and all of those sorts of things, and um, and I just try and uh, do my best to to remember. Years back, Brian said to to us one day in whatever setting, he said, "You just got to learn to rise above the disappointments people bring you." Uh, if we if we're leaders who are supposed to be walking in the fi- footsteps of Jesus, um, he we're at Easter right now. The ultimate betrayal. Um, right. He he's ultimately betrayed by the people closest to him by power, by religious power, political power, power of the day. Everyone turned on him. He was completely betrayed. He was, he was attacked. He was humiliated. He was vilified. All of those things. And, um, and here we are at Easter and on the cross he said, Father, forgive him. And, yeah. uh, and so I think if, and that's, uh, I think they embrace, embrace the suffering that comes with those thousand cuts. And um, yeah. and rather than run from it and go, okay, this is, I've got to make sure this is not affecting me. So if um, yeah. if people have humiliated me, if I re- react instead of build a wall, I just go, okay, I've got to deal with this. If someone has betrayed me, instead of react, I've got to deal with this. I just just really push myself to turn it back on myself and say, you've got something to deal with here, not to protect yourself from. And is that, that makes sense? I don't know. It does. Yeah, it absolutely does. And is that the way you lead your leadership teams through the life of Hillsong? Um, you know, the campus pastors across this nation, across Europe, and across the world. Uh, that sort of advice is is really what you keep bringing to them in in the context of when they're hurt and when they're feeling like you know um, they're disappointed and different things like that. That's yeah, really- yeah. It, it's gonna if it hasn't come, if it hasn't come, it's gonna come. Yeah, and um, so don't. You can't shield yourself from it. You can't protect yourself from it. Because I think if you shield yourself, think you can shield yourself from it and you can protect yourself from it, you're better than Jesus. 
<laughs> and it's just, it's just, you're not going to be able to do it. And, um, and I always try to tell everybody, you know, um, doesn't matter. I try to encourage everyone always, doesn't matter how big your failing is, that, that the moment you've failed, that was part, that's a part of your past. And um, the feeling that you get with your failure is in your present, but don't let it shape your future. Most people have got most people have got more life in front of them still from their point of failing than than the life that was before them before their failing. And um, so, I try and encourage people: get over your failure as quick as possible. And you've got yeah, you've got way more life to live. And um, you know, the religious don't like us showing grace and mercy and love and forgiveness towards towards people, but um, but Jesus is pretty good at it. Yeah, brilliant, Gary. Thank you. We've, we've got about 15 minutes left. Um, I wonder if we can just jump into talking about the virus for a moment. Uh, how are you and Kathy coping with self-isolation and everything? How's it going for you? How's it going for us? Uh, well, I think, you know, because we're about to go three weeks here in England, aren't we? And yep. we, we live in an apartment, and I was joking before. So my my daughter's living with us, and then her uh, one of her friends who'd been living with us for a, for a little while. She needed somewhere to stay stay for a while, so she's been living in the other. We had two spare bedrooms. We now got no spare bedrooms. Turned my study into a bedroom. I got a dog, cute dog, two very old cats, um, and. Uh, I think the first week was funny because the first week was, are we going to survive this? Um, <laughs> Do you, you mean know, the virus or you mean living together so closely? Well, living together so closely. I think for a lot of lot of couples, I think, they haven't spent this much time together since their honeymoon. And, um, <laughs> you know, and so, so there was a little bit, I think we all marked our territory. Everyone's got their, their spot um, and we all found that everyone's got their spot where they find where they go to for their solace and um i tried to make sure with uh kathy as best i can that she's still got it she's still got work to do so i try and make sure that when i know she's trying to do things like this or whatever i've, I've got to really respect that and um she she does the same same with me and uh and just uh yeah it's been interesting and yeah. uh you know, I try and start my day. I start my day really early, and so that by the time really um, Kathy and everyone else is getting into it, I'm ready to finish. So I just sort of sit down in front of the TV and have a glass of wine and just go go for it. I've uh, I've done my day. I've done my <laughs> eight or ten hours. And well, listen, else I mean, what, so your routine is you wake up early. Um, what do you do after that? You, are you having a quiet time in the morning? Are you are you going for your, your daily exercise at that point? Or, yeah, what are you actually I, doing? What I, what I did was right day one I wrote myself a little checklist that this is going to be my routine in this whilst we're, whilst we're in this situation. So I always start my day. I have, my term is I have coffee with God every morning. And I've got a, I, so I've, I've got a little, I, I do that. I try and um, make sure from that I'll do some form of reading that I'm studying something. I've I decided in this season that I was going to hit refresh uh, when it comes to the gospel. For example, I'm just going right back to absolute fundamental uh, uh, study 
on the right. gospel. I've decided to hit refresh when it comes to leadership principle and leadership things. Um, what you know, things like I love reading books on the on the political situation in the world and all the social ills of the world and all of that. And just just so I've decided to come out of this, I want to I want to know the world I live in better. I yes. want to understand humanity better, and I want to know the gospel way better than I did before we come into it. So, so that's my study period. Brilliant. Um, and then um, I try and in that there's a there's a there's you know my God time is there's more meditation type God time prayer, and then you know obviously with the with the Bible, what is it that I'm that's um, that I'm reading at the moment. Then um, I'll do some form of walk, go for a walk and do some form of exercise. And then we start the day. I have a, um, I have a brief, a meeting brief with all my core team. And then after that, I have a brief with all of our location pastors and then get on with work and uh, finish the day with a brief with all my key team and um, say see you tomorrow. Yeah. Sounds good. I think um, I think everybody's uh, been working hard, aren't they, to uh, to find new rhythms right in this season right now. Gary, if if we could be a fly on the wall in your leadership meetings, um, in your campus pastor meetings, what is it that you're actually saying to your leaders and to your pastors and to your senior team right now? Um, with uh, to to the senior team, it's you know we it's probably changed. We was like let's just settle down the panic. For the first week, let's get let's get a handle on what this now looks like. How do we, how are we functioning, and all of that. Now it's like, okay, how are we going with what's what the new rule of function is, and what are we? And we're starting to talk now about what's it, what what are we going to do as we come out of this? What's coming out look like? Um, and so I'll be talking to key team about that type of thing. Uh, we talk a bit about the fact that, you know, most of the time we're all too busy to do what we know we should do. Now we've got enough time. We're without excuse to do what we know we should do. So let's not come out of this and go, hey, here we were. We had an opportunity to focus on all the things we wish we had time for. Yeah. I so talk to sort of key, key team about that sort of stuff. And then with the location pastors and the pastors, is really about that we make sure that we are we know what's going on with the people in our church. Um, we've got a really, I think we've got a really good pastoral net right across our church. Um, so make sure you know what's going on. Make sure you know what's happening with the people that you're responsible for. Yeah. And we've got to foster foster this thing called fellowship. Let's. Uh, yes. I, I've been challenged every, probably every meeting. I try and challenge everybody. Let's come out of this, and uh, and say we looked after ourselves as a church. We looked after ourselves, and because we looked after ourselves, we had the ability to reach out into society and help society. So let's. Not, so if we just really look after ourselves, we have true fellowship. People caring for each other people helping people out financially, all of those sorts of things, which is true. Yeah. Now, how do we rally people to the needs in society? And uh, so yeah. that's generally what the meetings are about. Yeah, that's great. Um, 
Gary, we're, we're, we're getting lots of questions in. We've only got about 10 minutes left. Uh, this is a, a great question from Tina. What do you think about people? Um, what do you think about people saying God is mad with the world and that we need to repent? Um, of course, there are people who are jumping around saying all sorts of things, saying that this virus is an act of God. Uh, it's because God is mad with us, etc. Are you asking me what How I do you think? What, have, what I think? Yeah, I what think do you think? Well, I think they're nuts. Yeah. And I think they should be called out as nuts. Yeah. Um, they're nuts. And, um, Can you tell us why? Because it's not of God. God's yeah. not like this. That's not the God. That's not, that's not, if you want to, if you, I think the thing that we've got to, you know, for people trying to equate, because it's usually these types of people say things with such authority. Yeah. And, um, you know, the best, best way to know whether this is, or filter, I think, is if Jesus is the visible representation of God, he is the, invi- the visible image of the invisible God, how do I know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Good. Um, so what did what? And so how would Jesus respond now? We've got a virus that's breaking out around the world. Well, how did he respond in the day that he was living? So yeah. if everywhere Jesus was known for his his healing miracles, that that was the thing that captured the imagination and the intention of the masses of people was his healing. So if, if, if him being the representation of God was judging people with sickness, why was he running around healing people with sickness? Um, okay. And so um, you just got to look at Jesus and that's not, if Jesus is the representation of God that we benchmark ourselves on, that's not, that's not uh, there's nowhere, nowhere, Love not it. one place did Jesus go, when people come up to him and say, no, I'm not going to heal you because this is the judgment of God. He never said that once. That Love was that, not- Gary. Thank, thanks for giving us all, um, you know, uh, some food for thought, not just food for thought, but giving us the, uh, the words that, that the nation needs to respond to these crazy people that are out there. Because um, I, I think as a church, Glenn, I think that the thing that, you know, my, my prayer is, and I'm hoping, and I keep, and I'm saying to our church, let's be believing that that God's going to be found in this time, and people found God in Jesus. He was their healer. He was the one who healed them within themselves. He was the one who healed all of their diseases. Let's be believing that that um, if we're going to talk about something that's going on, hey, this is a virus that's touching the world. But we serve a God who heals. And let's be believing that people are going to find this God, a God of love, a God who heals, a God who restores, a God who puts, provides, a God who puts peace in people's hearts, not fear and panic. Yeah. That's what I believe we've got. That's what people have got to get hold of. All right, everybody. Listen, don't forget, we're, we're going we're gonna to shut off in about six minutes' time. Um, this is going to be live for the next 24 hours, so you can re-watch this. Um, some of you are asking the question box, can you watch it again? Yeah, you can, um, and that's the way you can do it. Gary, um, can, you, can you tell me, what do you think the church will look like post-coronavirus? Once lockdown is lifted, what do you, gonna, what do you think it's going to be like? What's our world going to look like? Well, church I think- and the world. Well, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can say what I think the world's going to look like. I think, I think, um, I think you know, we're going to come out the other side of this, and there's going to be some tough times in front of us, and 
no doubt. But, um, but you know, the world's been around a long time and uh, things come and go. We'll be, long term, we'll be okay. Short term, I think things will be challenging, potentially. But I think, I'm hoping, well, I don't know what I, if I think what the church will look like. I'm hoping what the church will look like. I, from my understanding and the little bits I know, I feel like everybody has discovered this sense of fellowship as a believer and this sense of um, thinking about others and this sense of, hey, there are people who are desperate, who they need to know Jesus. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping we come out with, uh, with the church across the nation where it's not just, hey, we're good at meeting on Sunday, but, hey, we're good at, at this, this sideways relational thing that everyone's discovering. Everyone's discovering the joy of helping people. And, um, and I just really believe that that's, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that, that 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 has been discovered, someone, uh, I think that's, um, I think that, that side of the expression of Christ within us has been ignited and come alive in people. And not only that, but people's genuine desire to tell other people. And I'm hoping the church we come out is just going to continue on with, with that momentum get back to some form of normal, whatever that is, but I be, I'm praying and believing that this, what we're experiencing, is going to be a part of our new normal as we move forward. I love that. That's fantastic. Um, and also, Gary, on, on a personal note, what is, what's the first thing you're going to do when our Prime Minister says, ladies and gentlemen, lockdown is lifted, out you go. What coffee shop, what restaurant, what theatre, what cinema... Where are you going to go? What's the first thing you're going to do? After I'm, going to go to the, I'm going to go to the Dominion Theatre. <laughs> what, to watch a show or are you going to go to church? I want to go to church. I want okay, to go to church. church. What are you going to do? Um, I, I do Bikram yoga every day. I'm looking forward to getting back to that. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to standing around people where everyone doesn't eye you with suspicion thinking, whoa, am I going to die if I get too close to you? Um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, just a, a little bit of normality on uh, how people connect with each other. Brilliant. Well, Gary, thanks so much for being with us tonight. I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. We were laughing, weren't we, earlier this week on Zoom. Um, I was saying to everybody on Zoom that, that you and I were going to go and have a barbecue now and a few people looked gave us a few awkward looks, but uh, obviously, you know, we're all on, on home lockdown and so I really do appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Thanks so much. Um, lots of people have been tuning in, lots of questions still that we haven't had a chance to get through. But, uh, Gary, before uh, Instagram cuts us off in two minutes' time, do you mind just saying a quick prayer for everybody who's, yep. who's watching this and everyone who will re-watch this soon? Okay. Thank yep. you. Father, I pray for every single person that's been watching this. And, Lord, I pray that at this time, that Lord, that they would find you where they need to find you. Lord, if it's a peace of mind and a peace of heart, Lord, whether it be as their healer, as their health, whatever it is, maybe it's there when it comes to you being their provider, whatever it is where people are at right now, you always reveal yourself at our point of need. And I pray people would encounter you at their point of need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thanks so much, Gary. See you again all soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this Audacious Podcast. We'd love for you to join us at one of our church services happening every Sunday, 10, 12, and 5.30 p.m. 